Hi there, and welcome to Fantasy Focus Baseball. It's a beautiful Thursday morning, June 11, 2020. He is Tristan H. Cockroft, singer of songs, slayer of myriad fantasy leagues. He is Kyle Soppy, expert researcher, producer, dream maker. I am Eric Carabell, somebody how to host and remind people that there is, of course, no crying on the Fantasy Focus Baseball. All right, later on we'll discuss the first round of the amateur draft, which happened last night. I wrote about it, and we'll take on some of your hash browns. But on today's fine show, as we reach another Thursday, Sands Live Baseball, we focus on baseball-themed movies. So let's bring in our pal and excellent ESPN staff writer, June Lee, to discuss the standout movie, A League of Their Own. June, thanks as always for joining us on the Fantasy Focus Baseball, and I love the mustache. Thank you. Yeah, I just got bored with quarantine. I had a mustache the first couple weeks. Uh, didn't have it for about a month and a half, and I was just like, oh, I got to change something up. So, so uh, I have grown it out the last week or so. That's glorious, right? I mean, that's like uh, uh, the guy in Anchorman. It's a, it's a glorious. I, 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 can you make it into Raleigh fingers? How long would that take? Like, the, I don't. I've never. Grow, I've never grown it out that long. The first time I actually grew it out, though, I had the opportunity to interview Don Mattingly and talk to him about my mustache, and that was maybe the highlight of my quarantine so far. He was wow. very impressed by how full it was coming in. That, that's the guy to talk to about a mustache. You need the wax, though, for the rally fingers. June, I'll tell you, though, you got to tell me how to, to fancy up my quarantine hair. You're, you, how do you, you do gotta, it? Just, just headband. You just got to headband it. All right. I'll keep it in mind. <laughs> yeah, I, I've got my, like, Philly fanatic headband here. But, um, I, you know, my hair, you know what? There's a lot of hair. I, I'm, you know, yeah. I'm feeling pretty good about this. It's not at the stage yet where I have to, like, put it in a bun. Or, but like Schoenfield on Monday called it a mullet, like Mitch Williams. I didn't like that very much. So yeah, you don't want to get like the John Clayton mullet from like that Sports Center commercial, right? Yes, yes. Slayer. Yeah, that's what it was. That's where we get the word Slayer for this uh, for the move for this uh, show. Anyway, let's get to it. Um, a League of Their Own. I, it's one of my favorite movies. Whenever that ship shows up on TV, even if it's on like TBS with commercials, I, I tend to watch it. Um, I think it's. Uh, a movie that holds up. I, I like the baseball scenes. It's well acted, well directed by Penny Marshall. So as always, we start with asking June, who is just a child, did you watch this movie today for the first time or like 20 years ago when you were like, I, well, I, I finished it up about 20 minutes ago. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it was Not great. For the first time, I hope. No, it was for the first time, actually. Oh, it was for the sorry. first time. Uh, this, I thought your description of it was perfect. This is the perfect movie that you kind of throw on, uh, and whether or not you pay attention to it, if you do pay attention to it, it's great. If you don't, it's great background noise. Um, it's a great, it's a great feel good movie. Uh, there's, it's, it, the, the pacing of the movie is good. You have, you have a, a really star studded cast between, you know, Madonna and Tom Hanks. Um, and, you know, and, and, and Rosie O'Donnell. There's so many, there's so many notable people in this movie. Um, you know, you have an incredible score from Hans Zimmer. I, I think it's just a really, really good feel-good baseball movie. Um, it's exactly what I want out of a sports movie, too. It's it's not. Uh, it makes you feel good, but also does. It's not too corny or over the top. Uh, you know, uh, you know, sentimental. Yeah, I, I kind of feel the same as both of you. It's it it's a well-rounded movie that I would watch if it was on. You know, probably in the background, if anything, it's kind of representative of the 90s with movies that way is that a lot of them are, are ones you can watch again. They're not incredibly deep. I mean, this one does have a little bit of depth to it, but 
you know, it's not perfection. The only that's the only thing here. Like, let's not hail this as perfection. It did have its occasional flaws, but the actors themselves carried this movie. I think that that the cast that they got, and then the fact that the performances were what they were, carried the movie. And, and I mean, come on, the, there's no crying in baseball. That is an unbelievable scene. That's an all time great movie scene. That's a fantastic line. It's a line that that gets used all the time, and you can tell when a line keeps getting repeated in just general culture. Everybody's seen the movie, and everybody likes that. And I've never seen anybody doesn't like this movie. And you mentioned the casting, so I like to go on IMDb for movies just in general when I'm watching and read the trivia and the goofs as well. And it's like half of this cast wasn't supposed to be this cast, which is amazing. Like. Deborah Winger was supposed to be in it, and the Lori Petty character like was like the last one filled, and Ron Howard has half his family in it. It's just it's interesting, and Penny Marshall too, like her father is in this as the uh, the mogul, you know, the uh, the candy bar mogul. It's just amazing to me. Lori Petty is a good baseball player, which is something you can tell from watching the movies. She is the sister of Dottie Henson. Dottie, um, her name escapes me at the moment, but she. Um, she is not a baseball player, but she learned, uh, Gina Davis, but she learned in like three or four weeks of, of working out with the, the cast how to play baseball. Lori Petty is a legit baseball player who played in like little league, boys little leagues, and you can see the way she runs and throws. Like there was something in there that said she threw more than uh, Charlie Sheen did in major league. Like she threw a lot. It's a legit, like you can see they're actually playing baseball, which I like. It was yeah, tough enough to do that, from what I understand. And by the way, did you get, did you guys read that Gina Davis did the split, the scene with the split? She was able to do that, but she couldn't get back up. I did not know that. That's so funny. And I, I have, have to the read same it. problem, actually. You know, I, I haven't told you that. <laughs> I, I would never get back up if I tried that. <laughs> well, I thought your point about just the baseball feeling very authentic in this movie was was really spot on. It really like I. Among, I, I feel like it's it's very easy to screw up a baseball movie if you you know have an actor who doesn't really know how to throw or doesn't know how to swing a bat, and nothing felt off in this movie. Like it felt like there was a lot of attention to detail between just the setting, the costumes, like the entire tone of the movie. Um, and I thought Tristan made a great point. Just I, I felt like each of the actors brought something different to their characters that kind of bring them to life. That didn't. Uh, it, it kind of forgives the fact that the movie isn't super deep. I thought. Um, because you have this kind of eccentric cast of characters. Um, and, and I, I think, I think really just the dynamic between all, all of the players in the movie really kind of carries in is what like, is what makes this a, a great feel good movie. Mm-hmm. The ensemble cast really carries it, I think. And, and I mean, it was challenging in that we, we mentioned the baseball. They had to train for that. I know that had, there was a lot of difficulty. I read a couple articles about that where they, they dealt with the struggles. The fact that Tom Hanks character is not, based on reality they had to entirely fictionalize that but they did do that a little bit off jimmy fox people seem to believe that's that's who it's based off of the fact that they created this character that was believable that had great lines he he was perfect for the part i'm i mean granted i'm biased i'm a huge tom hanks fan but this is one of his most memorable movies i think yeah i would agree with that let's go through the categories here briefly artistically was it actually a good movie we all agree yes the storytellers were adept and a student up to know if the plot holds up. Um, the timelessness, yeah, it stands the test of time. And it's based on a true story. I mean, they, they actually did play women's baseball during the war, which I love. They didn't say it was like it – was, it was the true story. But there's a character in there who is based on a real uh, – Dottie Collins, uh, who was a player during World War II in the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. I mean, that's in the Hall of Fame. 
So I love that they don't say it is the true story, but it's based on it. And technically, as a baseball movie, yeah, I think it is believable. It's not light on the baseball. They do. They run. They hit. They do legitimate things. Um, they made sure that the uh, the athletes, the actresses could play baseball, which I think is is fantastic. And, you know, the ending of the movie, June, you know, we talked about this on Bad News Bears a couple of weeks ago or a month. I don't remember when it was because I've lost track of time here. But um, the end of Bad News Bears, they don't win. The end of this movie is kind of similar where Dottie drops the ball and our friend John Parolin, a co-worker at ESPN Research, asked, did Dottie drop the ball on purpose or did Kit legit jar it loose? And I never considered that Dottie did it purposely. But what do you think about that? Is Was that play authentic? And do you think she meant to do it? Because she does smile afterwards helping her little sister. I thought I thought kid legitimately I like that wasn't a question that I considered until I literally read the email uh before this asking the questions about the movies like I I thought you know the thing I I thought I think you make a really good point in that you know the thing that I hate about sports movies that are overly corny it's that everything seems to work out perfectly right um I think that's the case in Sandlot why I don't personally love the ending of Sandlot even though I love that movie um I, the the thing I think separates this movie is that you have the ending that doesn't play out perfectly for the team, right? But then you have the, the kind of fast forward, uh, you know, they, they're at the Hall of Fame, they're reuniting, they're talking again, they're at Double Day Field or whatever, and um, it, it just it, it kind of just like wraps things up in like a life kind of goes on kind of way, and I really really appreciate that about this movie. Yeah. I, I... I've struggled with that ending. I saw this in the theater very soon after it had come out. And I remember the first time I watched it, I thought she dropped the ball on purpose. There wasn't even a, a doubt in my mind. It's ultimately a sibling rivalry movie. That That is the entirety of the, the, the basis for this movie. I mean, yeah, it's based on a historical story, but this is really a movie about sibling rivalry. And knowing this and as a baseball player with my brother, I might have dropped the ball deliberately just to give him a great moment. Having watched, you know, in this case, kid struggles earlier in the game to to feel bad about it I, I think it's a very legitimate question and in retrospect i love watching this subsequently thinking about did she do it on purpose i don't think there's a a, a clear answer the actresses have weighed in on this and that really you know like that it wasn't purposely done but it is a great debate and i think that is a better way of ending this movie than a lot of the others as you mentioned june sandlot i mean Sandlot has the postscript that that still bothers me. We got into that before, but in this one, it leaves that as a genuine open-ended question. And certainly emotions run high in this movie, not just with the sister rivalry here, but you know, you, you laugh and you may cry. Uh, certainly I, I, I almost cried during the scene where uh, the woman finds out that her husband had died in the war. And I thought that was handled so well by Tom Hanks's character there. Um, it just, this movie brings out emotions in you, which is cool. And at the end, how it ends, and then when they go to them as older uh, older women, I, I think that's really well done. It, it like flashes back to a time. So you know, you, this used to be my playground. That song is by Madonna. Is re- really fits in well too. It's like the music. Now you're not buying the soundtrack, but like it fits in with what you know you're thinking during the movie really nicely. So. I like that as well. June, you think that this all works out. It's a motive. And that's what we want out of a movie is to feel something. Right. Like at the end of the day, like I, I, I try not to go in uh, to movies, especially like big blockbuster movies with like the expectations of what I have and wanting to see exactly what I want on the screen. I just like want to go in and like feel something, which I guess is just like a, 
you know, I, I feel like that's what we want out of movies. We, we want to see stories that like move us in some way or inspire us in some way. Um, and I think that this movie just hits all of the notes perfectly without, without being over the top, like hitting your head with a hammer corny. Madonna's song is great. I agree with you. I, I will admit that the only thing that's ever bothered me about this movie is I do not like the league theme song. And I haven't from the first time I watched it. It's a little too corny. It doesn't follow proper meter. The rhymes are a little bit off. And I don't know. There's something about it that had always bothered me. As a guy who makes up ridiculous songs, it's kind of like that in the movie. And if I say my own singing in songs here stink, I guess I have to be consistent. I'll stay on brand with that. <laughs> there were a couple little baseball flaws that you probably even missed, too. Oh, was- well, let do tell. What else do you not like? Okay. No, it's not that I don't like it. It's just that there there were a couple times where the baseball wasn't truly authentic. I don't want us to raise this as a perfect baseball movie. In the very beginning of this movie, they're playing a softball game where Dottie points out there's a hole on the right side, pull the ball, she's a right-handed hitter. Okay. Yeah. There's also no fence. But yes, <laughs> you, I'll give you You can't catch the ball in your hat. That's against the rules. The series I think the way she was that's not that's that like it was five in reality like they they do take a couple of of luxuries here with the baseball rules but it wasn't enough to bother me like you'd have to actually pay very close attention to find them I think also the you have way- to be a, you have to be like a baseball nerd to know all of that too on top and like the majority of the people aren't going to know that like you can't catch a ball in a hat right well maybe in 1940 you could have um and also, Tristan, were you okay with the way they were milking the cows? I, I didn't really like their form all that much. I, I thought maybe there's an analytical way to do that better. That, now, they didn't have analytics in 1940, but, like, June, we know there's a better way to milk a cow with seventy with 80 years of experience in doing so. The exit velocity there was subpar. I am sorry. I cannot buy that. I am definitely should drop into the second round of your milking cow draft. <laughs> you know, the launch angle was terrible. I, I also have a question because something that I've noticed oh, just over the course of watching all of these baseball movies week after week is that almost every a majority of these movies have a scene where people are throwing a baseball in the countryside by like a road. <laughs> yes, very American. Like what what percentage of baseball movies have that scene? You know, because there's a there's a lot of them. The Rookie has it. Uh, this movie has it. Uh, the Natural has it. Like. It's a, it's, a, it feels like a, almost a staple in like American baseball movies to a certain degree. So you have like a routine now, June. It's like every Thursday morning you wake up early, you watch a movie, you talk about it with us. Like, how does the rest of your Thursdays go? I'm curious now. Like, uh, I'm just, I, I usually like end up working. I'm slacking my editor and uh, reporting out things. Yeah. Okay. So You're this not milking cows or anything like that. No, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to milk some trivia out of trivia out of Tristan right now. If you want to sing a little uh, soft, corny song, go ahead. Uh, that, we're going to tell you we don't like you it. You can hate the song, too. Exactly. Uh-huh. You can hate this one part of the song and then, you know, appreciate all the rest. But trivia, trivia that all of you won't know. <laughs> <laughs> I actually do think I'll stump you on this. Okay, well, I, I mentioned about right. I mentioned about Jimmy Dugan, the Tom Hanks character from A League of Their Own, and we know that it's effectively modeled off jimmy fox so jimmy fox is one of five players in history to have managed at least 50 home runs and 150 rbis in a single season in the same year 50 plus homers 150 plus rbi he did it twice five players did this i'd like you to name the other four who have done it 
50 and 150. Okay. 50 and 150 in a season in Major League history. Five players. You need to name the other four. My first guess is Pac Wilson. Yeah, right? I mean, didn't he do it or did he not have 50 home runs that year? He he did it in 1930 in the year he set the RBI record. Correct. All right, good. Is that the first one you've ever gotten right, June? Yeah, I'm so excited. (laughs) Make it two for two. Come on. I don't have any other guesses. uh, Chuck Klein. Nope. No, okay. Well, then I stink. Hank Greenberg must have done it. Nope. All right, well, then I'll stop guessing. Let's keep talking about the movie. Favorite – who was your favorite actor in it? I mean, Tristan, you mentioned Tom Hanks. Um, I When I was reading, the part of um, the guy at the beginning, the, the comedian who is there at the on the farm, and again, all these names escape. This is what happens when you get old. But you know who I'm talking the about. Scout? The scout. John Lovitz. Um, John Lovitz. John Lovitz. That's not it. a person I expected to see in this movie at all. My and not a person there. who was supposed to have a part in this movie. He was supposed to have like a minor part, but a lot of what he did did came off the cuff. And, and like some of the scenes like where, you know, well, you shut up, you know, to the rooster in the back or the chicken, whatever that is. It's just his his character is really funny. Do either of you have like a favorite character here that somebody that just like I also love Lori Petty, her like she's feisty. You know, I think that's pretty cool. And she's also a really good player, which I think You love cool. Tank Girl, don't you? <laughs> I, yeah, I'm glad you brought up Lovitz. Uh, I'm a very big fan of John Lovitz. Uh, and there's been some ridiculous stuff he's done in his career, but this was just so quintessentially him in the movie, and it fit. And I wish we had seen more of him. They kind of just discard him after the very beginning. I was a huge The Critic fan, for anybody who knows that show that barely aired. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I thought there's, I mean, the Madonna character, I mean, reading about the movie, she wasn't real happy. <laughs> now, this is filmed, this is at Wrigley Field in Chicago, right? I mean, I think that's where they, they filmed the movie. Um, that's so the tryouts. Just the tryouts. Where was the movie film, filmed? Uh, oh, gosh, what was the name of the field? I'll get you the name of it. It's a historic field, one of the oldest. Existing. Not an active field, I guess. Bossy field. Uh, okay. It's in uh, uh, Mattingly's hometown. Of course. So you only know it because of Mattingly. Um, no, that's good stuff. Um, any final thoughts on the movie, June, I guess? I mean, like, how does this fit in with other movies that you had never seen before? Like, when we were asked to start this project, I had seen pretty much all the movies that I ranked in my top five and ranked and my bottom five as well, like Trouble with the Curve, which is awful. And when it comes to – but, like, you have not seen most of the movies that we consider to be top ten baseball movies. So I'm wondering if, if you're – compiling a ranking now and where like a league of their own fits with like major league and bad news bears and the natural and others. Yeah. So I, my two favorite baseball movies that I had seen coming into this, this whole thing that we've been doing were Moneyball and uh, uh, money. What was the other one? I slipping my head right now. Moneyball was my favorite was, was my favorite baseball movie. Um, and I think, I mean, there's definitely, there's definitely been a couple movies that I would definitely place, within at least my top 10 and potentially my top five. Now I would say this is definitely one of them. Um, and uh, I would have to say bad news bears is probably one of them too. Like th- those are, those are the two that I knew that I would probably like, just given how much people talk about them that I knew that I would enjoy. I just hadn't gone around to them. So, um, Oh, and then sugar is the other one that, that is, that is, was one of my favorite baseball movies. Cause I think that that story, that movie, I think in particular tells a story that it goes untold just generally within the baseball world. And the fact that it's a movie, I think is, is pretty remarkable. Uh, and so I, those are two, I think, pretty modern, more art house, more, more art housey, like Oscar 
Oscar type movies. Um, I don't necessarily put a league of their own in, in that kind of category of movie. This is much more of a nineties feel good movie, but you know, all those movies can kind of coexist together in my, in my headspace. To use a baseball phrase to describe a league of their own, it is high floor, low ceiling. It's always going to be pretty high in your rankings, but you might pick the upside of something else in a ranking list. I'd say that's a hundred percent spot on. Yeah. All right. I like it. Um, Let's uh, let's move on and answer the trivia question now. What was the question? Who have we already gotten right? So the question is, uh, Jimmy Fox, he was one of five players in history to have a season of at least 50 home runs and 150 RBIs. The same year, at least those thresholds. We have named one of the other four. It was Hack Wilson in 1930. Three other players besides Wilson and Fox have had a 50 homer, 150 RBI season. Two of these remaining ones did it twice. Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth is one of the ones who did it twice. He did it in 1921 and 1927. Now you should all get the rest. Lou Gehrig. You know, you know these players. Well, I was wondering if Bonds come to mind, just people that had a lot of 50 right. home run seasons. The first you mentioned, Kyle, was correct. Sammy Sosa did it in 1998 and 2001. I, I mean, Lou Gehrig had to do it, right? Or did he not have enough home runs? Incorrect. Yeah. Because it, it's... So Bonds did this? Or Bonds, Bonds did, did not do this. Ruth, Wilson, Sosa, Fox. We have one more to go. And you should know this name. He was mentioned on Monday's show. Alex Rodriguez. Correct. 2007, Alex Rodriguez did it. 2007. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, Juna, you've been, I assume you've been watching the 30 for 30s on ESPN every Sunday night. Um, this weekend, it's McGuire, Sosa, um, I'll read the promo after this, so don't waste your time. But uh, 1998 is a little bit early for you, I guess, on being a a baseball fan. So what are your recollections of that season? Um, Did they change over the years as baseball has gone through, I guess, a bit of a change here? Back in 1998 when we were going through it, nobody thought it wasn't cool. Everybody loved McGuire and Sosa. And then like 10 years later, they were prized and nobody wanted a part of, along with Barry Bonds and A-Rod and Clemens wasn't just steroids it was the way things were happening what are your recollections recollections as a baseball writer on that season so my memory so my my baseball fandom started in 2003 so this was even before i became a baseball fan i was three years old when when mcguire and sosa happened and so i don't have any memories of it everything that i know about that season is from like youtube highlights and everything that i read growing up and I remember I became a baseball fan when that the narrative on that season started to change and all the steroid stuff coming started coming out. Like my first couple of years of being a baseball fan, I remember the Mitchell Report being one of the biggest things. Um, and so it was a, it was a really my my memories of it is is mostly the pre just people talking about how important that season was in terms of just revitalizing baseball and the national consciousness. Uh, and then seeing how the steroid scandal kind of sucked the life out of a lot of people. Um, and just the, you know, the, yeah, I, I have, a, I have a very complicated relationship with the steroid era because like, uh, you know, a lot of the players that I grew up with were on the, the Mitchell report. Um, you know, I know a lot of baseball, older baseball writers had, uh, had issues with Barry Bonds, whether that's, you know, his, the ethics of what he did or whether that's personal stuff. Um, you know, he has a reputation of not treating people, had, had a reputation of not treating reporters very well. Uh, you know, my memories of someone like Barry Bonds were, were all the home runs. And so, you know, I think, I think people, I, I personally, you know, I'm, I'm of the camp that the steroid era is, is part of just kind of baseball history and that, you know, I think we're, we're on a path where we're seeing more of these steroid guys kind of become eligible for the Hall of Fame. And I've always been slightly surprised that McGuire 
uh, despite uh, you know every both McGuire and Sosa haven't gotten more support given just kind of the the change of narrative that's happened, given how awesome they were both of them at their peaks. Um, and so you know I don't really have a, like a a totally like formulated take on this because I, all all my feelings on this are are very complicated because they're kind of mashed up between the you know the hype that that kind of preceded the the uh the drip 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 that kind of came of of revealing that steroids were infiltrating the game of baseball and so i have a very complicated relationship towards kind of the memories of the 1998 season just as someone who grew up in kind of kind of the aftermath of everything that happened there that's all fair um so we'll all be watching on sunday night to watch the latest 30 for 30 um, anyway, Jun Lee, thank you so much for being on our show today. Next Thursday, the plan is for Moneyball, which you announced 10 minutes ago is your favorite baseball movie. So we know that you're going to like that one. Maybe next Thursday morning you don't even need to rewatch Moneyball. Maybe you can go out for a run or cut your mustache or do whatever you want. But it's good that you have a, th- you have a routine. Your routine is good, especially during an unfortunate pandemic. Drew, thank you so much for being with thank us. You, have a safe weekend, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you, Drew. All right, June does an excellent job. And as I mentioned before, the Jalen and Jacoby After Show podcast continues this Sunday following ESPN's new 30 for 30 film, Long Gone Summer. Director A.J. Schnack takes viewers back to the landmark 1998 baseball season when the St. Louis Cardinals' Mark McGuire and the Chicago Cubs' Sammy Sosa embarked on a chase of one of the game's most hallowed records. It was one of the most significant and memorable seasons in baseball history, told by the stars who lived it and so many others who will never forget it. A reminder that all 30 for 30 films are available on ESPN Plus after airing. And by the way, check out the excellent work by our pal Dave Schoenfield, who was a guest on Monday's show. And you can download and listen to that show as well. He previewed uh, this 30 for 30. He also has an amazing recap of the 1998 season, Tristan. You and I both read that. It's just fantastic. That was not just about McGuire Sosa. There's a lot of crazy things that happened in 1998. So very, very recap. I mean, it didn't just end with the Yankees. It, there's a lot of stuff that happened, trades and brawls and other statistics that happened. Just fantastic stuff there. Um, before we get to the hash browns, Tristan, let's briefly discuss the first round of the MLB draft, amateur draft from Wednesday night. The other rounds, um, rounds two through five, will occur on Thursday, which is today. You can watch it on ESPN starting at 5 p.m. Eastern time. I wrote an article about it. Not sure if you got to see it, but I basically ranked 10 players from the first round for dynasty purposes. And it might be a little bit unpopular for some how I did it. I did not have Spencer Torkelson as number one for fantasy, but anybody, everybody can just read what I wrote. I want your opinion here on how do you view the day after a draft? How do you view where these guys go in your overall dynasty rankings and where you rank them for a lot of leagues that just have a draft about these players? Like, you can say, yes, Torkelson will be number 280 in my dynasty rankings overall. But what is your, like, you can see in my article, I have a w- way of thinking on analyzing these players. I want to know if you agree with that way of thinking. Yeah, actually, the names you picked, I'm pretty close on the valuations. Generally, what I'll do is I'll take these names before the draft and I'll get a a, a general value point of where I will put them in the Dynasty 300. And I'm going to have a separate piece that just deals with this year's draftees. And if there are inter- any international signees, it, I'll add those players to it and it'll be something that we perpetually update. But 
the destinations, if there's an opportunity created, let's say that the team calls a pretty favorable hitting ballpark, has opportunity, you see some creativity with the positions. Torkelson being announced as a third baseman when he was drafted was very interesting to me. Probably not in the way that other people see it. They think that because he was thrown there, he, he's likely to play third base, and that's great for his fantasy value. I'll tell you, fantasy-wise, first base is a disaster area for prospects. I actually think he'd be better off there, but the fact that they want to get creative and use him in different spots is interesting to me. That means more opportunity. There are different paths to the majors. Eric, you wrote about Austin Martin. Austin Martin falling to five to the Blue Jays was remarkable to me. I, I couldn't believe he fell that far. And getting to the Blue Jays, they listed him as a shortstop, which is curious. They have Bo Bichette there. They have op- like opportunities for him. They could put him in the outfield. They could put him at third. They could put him at second. They have different places to put him. And I like the ballpark, and I like the young offense and the up-and-coming nature of that. So I, I kind of give him a little bit of a plus. Martin, to me now, and, and I'm pretty sure you had Martin number one of, among your dynasty prospects, correct? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Me too. That definitely thrust him to the lead for me, and I, I was pretty close in the first place. Um, the other is you mentioned uh, Zach Veen to the Rockies. It was um, a high school pick several years away, but it's he's a Rockies hitter, good left-handed swing, could hit for a lot more power, and people threw a 25 to 30 home run uh, projection on him down the road. It's Coors Field. It's a great yeah, opportunity no, I, for him down the road. Only high schooler that I, I ranked in my top 10, and it's because it's not because I'm impatient. It's because a lot of bad stuff can happen when you when you add extra years to a minor leaguer, especially with pitchers, but also it happens with hitters as well. Um, don't I would one thing I would say if if you're not we're going to read my article is don't worry about the positions. Just don't. Austin Martin's going to hit. He's going to play. He's going to be up maybe even by next season. By the end of next season, he is going to be a star. And when I saw Toronto didn't take him because they want him to play third base and move Vlad to first or DH. Toronto took him because he was the best player in this draft. And But Vlad is probably not going to be a third baseman. Like the way I view dynasty rankings for the guys just drafted is just take the best skills, the best hitters. Don't worry so much about defense or catchers or, you know, young like, high school prep pitchers. But he's going to play. Um, I don't know if it's going to be second, third, center field, but I don't even care about where Torkelson plays. That bat's going to – it's like Andrew Vaughn a year earlier for the White Sox. He's going to hit like a monster. I don't care if it's a first baseman or a DH, and I'll have an article on Friday about sleepers, non-top 100 guys. There's a first baseman who, who who found his way into this first round who's not going to be in anybody, you know, in Kyle McDaniels or Keith Law's top 100, but he's going to be a guy I'm looking at in Dennis Leagues because he's got massive power. It's a North Carolina first baseman like Alonzo. I, I just think there's Damn. a lot to watch, right? Don't you agree? Damn. I mean, like – Yeah, Man, throw the name. Sabato. I mean – Aaron Zavato, I, I did the article on Thursday was about top hundred type players. Savato is not going to be in the top hundred, but for fantasy purposes, he would be maybe in my top five. That is a guy with guaranteed power. I don't think he's going to bat two twenty. When I look, when I saw the comps on Torkelson to Pete Alonso, it actually dissuaded me a little bit. Peter Lyons about a 260 as a rookie, and most of us think that might be the high that he's going to hit in his career. He's going to have great power for the next 12 years, but if he bats 250 or 260 every year, that's a, I don't want to say it's a problem in fantasy, but it's not a good thing. Nelson Cruz is batting 300. Mm-hmm. If Torkelson is batting 260, that's not what I want. <laughs> I want him batting 280. 
Right. I mean, I think people are throwing the Pete Alonso comp, which we had out there. Kylie McDaniel's work, and he's done great work for the draft here. Did have a uh, column on comps. I've said about how I find them a little bit awkward, but people are going to aim for the Alonso thing. I'm with you. I want Torkelson to hit for a higher average. To your Blue Jays point about Martin, the Blue Jays are creating a system with a lot of positional flexibility. There is opportunity. They have an outfield that doesn't have a whole ton of clear blue chip youngsters like they have in the infield. So they've got different spots to play players. And to your point about position, not worrying about positions, it was four catchers went counting the um, the supplemental yeah, round. Avoid uh, them all. <laughs> well, but this is the thing. Two of them are very the, – the Yankee Austin Wells for the Yankees. I mean, these guys are clearly going to switch positions. They uh, – Tyler, Tyler – um, Stevenson, A's, I think it is, right? Yeah, no, Soderstrom. I get them confused all the time with the Reds, dude. Tyler Soderstrom of the A's, probably not going to catch. Wells of the Yankees, probably not going to catch. The Giants will have a problem with their catchers. They have Patrick Bailey. They have Joey Bart. They're going to have to figure something out there. These guys are going to move around quite a bit, and I wouldn't get too attached. Sleeper for me was Bobby Miller to the Dodgers. Uh, that's a guy who could move pretty quickly, I think. And Moore is a short reliever. The Dodgers are creative with the roles for pitchers. Um, and the other one that I, I want your, your take on this, Garrett Crochet of the White Sox. Feels Chris Sale-ish, doesn't it? A little bit? Lefty throws from that three-quarter? They're trying yeah, to recreate Chris Sale. But there, there is nobody like Chris Sale. So, like, when Chris Sale was coming up, I remember the famous thing about Law saying he's going to get hurt, and he didn't for a while. He finally got hurt this past year. Is it wrong for me? Is it a bias that I'd rather have a tall, projectable right-hander than a lefty. And you and I play in simulation leagues in which I try to avoid left-handed starting pitchers. And the reason is because you can stack lineups against lefties. And real teams do this as well. They have guys like Jesse Winker is only going to hit right-handed pitching. There are guys who only hit left-handed pitching that show up in lineups as like platoon options. And it just scares me with lefties. Yeah, you get a Chris Sale. And I saw a projection on the the guy Asa uh, of uh, James Paxton, who went healthy, is terrific. And yes, I see what you're saying about crochet, but I just, I would rather have a project, a tall projectable right hander. I'd load them up on my dynasty and sim rosters and see Belozovich of the Twins is a guy who I, I think that's a projectable right hander with strikeout potential, who was drafted years ago, just as an example. So I like the kid from Georgia who came, who was like the fourth, fifth, or sixth pick to Seattle because Hancock, because to me, that is a projectable right hander. Like a Bueller type. I, I don't know. I mean, I could be wrong in, in like fading lefties and fading prep guys. And yes, you might end up with the next you know, Wander Franco somehow if you just want to wait a little bit longer. But he's not a good example. You need a prep guy. I don't know. I just avoid high school guys in dynasty drafts. Do you? Especially pitchers. I don't want to wait all that time for a pitcher. I think there's too much variability in the outcomes for those players. I agree with you. I probably do prefer the righties. I probably do prefer height like a lot of scouts do. Um, I want them to have a great breaking pitch right away. I'm a little bit less concerned about the velocity being the top of the sh- top shelf here. I mean, Max Meyer got talked about a lot, and, and then he gets you know drafted by the Marlins. I have no idea how quickly he's going to move. Remember, he was talked about as being one of the guys who could get to the majors the quickest because he could be a short reliever. Now I'm not so sure. I like your Hancock mention. Emerson Hancock to the Mariners. That was interesting uh, because I always think of the Marine layer in Seattle. So that's another case where in my rankings, I'm going to bump him up a couple notches just because I think it's a, a good system for him to be in. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, anyway, you can read what I wrote. It's uh, published on ESPN uh, Fantasy right now. 
and maybe it'll show up on the baseball page as well. Just my thoughts on ranking the 10 guys from the first round that'll probably end up in the top 100 for, for Kylan McDaniel and, and other people who do this rankings. We are not specialists when it comes to prospects, so read their work. Read what Kylie is saying, read what Schoenfield's saying, and the other people at ESPN. And anyway, that, those are just my thoughts. And I'll have another piece on the other rounds as well. But those guys, a little bit different philosophy for fantasy. Um, I do think after what I heard from the commissioner on Thursday that there's going to be a 48-game season. I'm, pre, I'm about 90% certain. He Ooh. says 100% certain there will be baseball this year. I'm like 90% certain there will be a 48-game season, Tristan. We'll have plenty of shows to discuss that. Maybe on Monday we'll bring Schoenfield back to discuss that. Do you, you're making a face on the Squadcast. Do you disagree with me? No, I I didn't realize you you had the suspicion that I did. Um, and, and yeah, he, he gave a guarantee that baseball would be played this year. But I, I was scared by it because I think they're going to go with the, the nuclear option of well, the sub-50 game. Yeah, but like I know it's because not enough games, but like – who who decides what's enough games? I, I I think forty-eight games is okay. We can have a season. We can we can play fantasy this year. We can play sim next year. If there's zero games, nothing happens. We're gonna take it. We love baseball. We're gonna take it as the fans. We're gonna take what we're given. But that is the that's gonna be the ugliest outcome that still results in baseball. I, I am just afraid that we're gonna get some haggling over that, some annoyance by the players, and I'm just scared next year with the CBA coming up. I, I don't want to see baseball go into this dirty fight over the next 18 months. That's all. It is going to. I think it'll be a 48-game season in 2020, a full season in 2021, and then we should really worry if there's any baseball at all in 2022, frankly. And and the Arizona owner saying there should be a salary cap. Yes, yes, the other sports don't have these problems because they have a salary cap where you don't have the Los Angeles Lakers spending $200 million and the Charlotte Hornets only affording $50 million. In baseball, this is what all the problems come down to, I believe. Is there the needs fact to be a floor, too, then. The Dodgers, the Yankees, the Red Sox can spend $150 more million than Oakland and Tampa Bay. How is that fair? Um, that's another show. Maybe we'll bring that up with Dave as well. Let's bring back our friend Kyle now because we have some hash browns. We did not get the hash browns on Monday, but there are some for today's show. Kyle, please tell us what they are. Yeah, no problem. David weighed in on Twitter. He, you guys are talking prospects from the draft that just happened. He wants to know some deep keeper league options for prospects that will deliver right away other than Gore and Howard. He prefers some NL names, but he'll take either league. I, I don't know if there's anybody who's going to deliver right away. I mean, like, Tristan, like, you mentioned Meyer of the Marlins. In a 48-game season, if the Marlins are in it in the final week, they could bring up Meyer for their bullpen. But it's not going to be fantasy relevant. So I think what the question means, who's going to be relevant in fantasy the soonest in the NL? Now, there will be a DH, so that's something to consider there. That could move some of these hitters a little bit faster, especially the ones that don't have uh, good positions. But there's no answer to this, is there? Well, I think he's going for prospects who weren't just drafted, ones that are already there, in which case I keep going back to the Wander Francos and the Joe Adels, guys who the minute they get called up, I want to be right on board. They could have a a Trout-like debut, but the upside gives them the opportunity to provide what Jordan Alvarez, for example, did last season, high-level fantasy production. Um, You mentioned Meyer. (laughs) I want to be really careful about just assuming that teams are going to rush prospects up to the majors. I do think that what's going on right now with the minor leagues, with this draft, 
and the like, and the fact that prospects have been pushed through the system quickly. A lot of the analysts on TV were saying that yesterday, that the prospects are getting pushed through the system a lot more quickly. It doesn't make any sense for the Marlins to push Meyer to the majors as a short reliever, because then what do you do with them next year? You want him as a starter long term. Are you going to call him up for relief, send him down, come back two years from now? Let's uh, try to answer the NL prospect part of this. I mean, I assume that in this league, guys that like Dylan Carlson has to be already on a roster. Um, you know, CJ Abrams is that Padre shortstop, but he's years away. He's like 19 years old. Um, Luciano, the giant shortstop, he's like 19 as well. So like to me, Christian Robinson, these guys aren't even 20 yet. I'm trying to think of national league guys. Gore has to be a roster in that league. If Spencer Howard is a lot of these prospects are in the American league, right? I mean, that we haven't seen yet. Drew Waters, that Atlanta center fielder. I'm, and I'm a little worried about how quickly he hits, at least at a high level. I, I mean, Alec Bohm with the DH. If we see Alec Bohm yeah, get get an year. appearance, um, that's one option. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it seems to me like the top prospects are uh, that are close to fantasy relevant are in the American League. I mean, obviously Lux and Carl Carlson are the top end ones. I assume they're rostered. I, I'm trying to go down a like Hunter Bishop. There's certainly opportunity in the Giants outfield, but he's at like the rookie level. He's got a ways to go. And again, all these guys are going to lose out on a year of of playing baseball to some degree. Like if Carter Keboom doesn't play a major role in the Nationals, well, he's not playing AAA. So he's going to be like in Nationals camp on their roster, just like Cabrian uh, Hayes of the Pirates. I'm not sure if they get a lot of playing time in a 48-game season. Like if you're the Pirates – there's no need to play Colin Moran anymore. Cabrian Hayes is a much better defensive player. Let's see what he can do. Start his clock. I, I don't know. Um, Ian Anderson is one I'd throw out there. The Braves could have a need there in the rotation, and I find him an interesting prospect. Um, one of mine falls in between these two lists. I'm a big Josiah Gray fan. You know that. I drafted him in our Sim League in the first round because I'm a big fan of him from a prospect perspective. I think there's some growth to come here. Do the Dodgers get creative with a prospect like Gray? He was double A level uh, at the highest last day I checked. If there's no minors this year, might they dabble a little bit? All fair. All fair. All right. Uh, what's next, Kyle? All right. Ben's got a question, and I feel strongly about this one. Are you putting an asterisk by the winner of your league this season, assuming it's played? No, I'm not. I don't think you do that. Major League Baseball is not going to put an asterisk. Um, I, I joked with a friend of ours, Tristan, that I, this is finally the year I'm going to win one of these expert leagues and nobody's going to view it as legit because it was a 48-game season. But to some degree, it might be harder to win in a 48-game season. First of all, we didn't draft these teams for a 48-game season. So it's a little bit unfair to have already drafted a team that is going to be playing under a third of season rules. <laughs> but to answer the question, no, there's no asterisk for me because there's no asterisk in real life. I don't put an asterisk next to what you know Roger Maris or or Mark McGuire and Sosa did or Bonds. There's no room for asterisks. Um, you win a look if you win a 48 game season, you're still doing something special. Yeah, uh, it's just and, and in 10 years nobody's going to remember. They're just going to say you won. Flags fly forever. That's how I'm going to view it. Let society judge the asterisks. As asterisks, don't place them yourself. I do think your league mates are going to look at this season differently, but that's on them to judge. That's a, champion, a champion's a champion. It counts. Well, Eric, to your to your point, this is this is a, a great point here about 
labor and tout wars drafted already. What are we doing when baseball resumes? Will we redraft them? I think no. Oh, no, but, no, no, no. But that's These are a, our teams. and that, That's like, a big part of it. It's a big part of it. I know that, say the season starts on August 1st. If we were dra- redrafting for labor and tout the day before, we would not draft the same way. We would focus more on like Nate Pearson and Spencer Howard types that could be in the majors. There might be players that don't, don't play at all. Like, like the, if the best player on my NL labor team is, for example, Juan Soto, and he just decides not to play this year for whatever reason, that what do I do? I can't, I can't replace him properly. <laughs> it's going to test our skills in in-season management, and I'll, I'll tell you this: I'm, I'll, <laughs> Tristan, trash is Tristan. Uh, one of the things I'm discovering as we do these retro drafts, and I did another one of them last night and finished in the middle again, is that I'm wondering whether my strength is in in-season management. And there's something oh, to be said for people to have strengths in managing their teams in-season. You, you, look, I love you, but you, I think I draft really well, okay, and I, I do think so it too. without prep as much as you do. But in season, you're able to trade for what you need easier than I am. You're able – I think we both pick up free agents equally well. Um, I think you have won some of these labor and talent titles because of your in-season management. And I have lost these titles because of my lack of doing something, whether I was lazy or didn't see something happening or got unlucky, like the year I got outbid on J.D. Martinez moving to Arizona. So – but I, I think I draft well, but I think you're a better in-season player than I am. And, and you're a better overall player than I am because you've won these titles and I keep finishing second. You get more luck. But that's a good point. We did not draft these leagues for a season that's only 48 games, a third of the season. So that's going to be interesting. But no, no asterisk for me. Not, I, do not think, I do think you draft well. And you know this. When we've reviewed labor teams, there's a lot of times I say, boy, I wish I could have Eric's team. And then I wish I could swap out – the two or three at the end, because I had a, a guy I wanted to just throw in there as a sleeper. But the core of your team, yeah. So what am I doing wrong? I've asked you this a number of times. Like, I just, I'm not active enough during the season. Whereas you, you're, you'll you take more chances on free agents, and you'll take more chances on trades. It's not that I don't want to lose a trade. It's that I feel like I've got the team that can win. It just finishes second. So am I just not active enough? I don't think it's right for us to go, Tristan trashes Eric. So No, I think it's important. That people are listening to this show saying, why is this guy hosting a show if you finish a second every year? You tell me why. It's in-season management. I know our pal who lives right near me thinks I, that. I, I, I don't think you're bad at in-season management. I think that is a mischaracterization. I don't think you're you're um, you're not obsessive about the individual matchups, and I am. That's a good point. I am definitely not obsessive in-season like you are. Okay. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but – there is definitely a level of obsession to managing your team in season. And this is why people like to put caps on things in their leagues. Yeah. You have a, you have a more of an obsessive personality, which I'm not viewing as a bad thing. <laughs> no, I, all right. I, it's all good. Would you not agree with that? No, I do. It's, it's all love going around here. I, I'm, I'm, but, I, but I, at the same time, I think you would admit, again, I'm not trying to defend myself in any way here. I contend in more leagues than you do. Whether it's regular fantasy or sim, I just don't get right to the end. You win more leagues, but you also take more chances and finish at the bottom of more leagues than I do, right? Is that fair to say? You go all in, to which sometimes there's detriment. 
Whereas I'm more concerned with being in contention in September in my leagues and seeing if I can fix it then. I have one last place finish ever. I'm proud of that. And I'm really mad that I finished last that year. I have finished poorly in you know, a decent number of leagues. Um, and, and look, that, that is because what you're saying, that I do take some chances on things like that. But, you know, that's, that's something you have to do. I'm more cautious. I, I'm a cautious draft. I don't I'm cautious in season. I don't think that's it. I think you are more flexible. And I think flexibility is needed. And I am, these are things I'm learning with these drafts. I, there, there are some key subtle takeaways I have from this. And that is that you need more flexibility. Well, I can like stand up right now and reach down and touch my toes. So I'm definitely flexible in that way. You can do Dottie split. Do it for us right now. I would break something badly. (laughs) All right. That seems like a good time to move to the next question. I'm going to put a poll out this afternoon. Do you think people more consider themselves conservative or aggressive when it comes to just management in general? I think you should because it's clear that the two hosts of this show have different philosophies in that respect. I am definitely more conservative than he is. I am. Kyle, your follow-up question to that once that poll is done is, do you really have the skills to evaluate your approach? Because <laughs> I don't bet, yeah. I bet a lot of people aren't honest. <laughs> I think most people are going to say they're aggressive. Whether it's true or not, I just think they like the perception of that. You could also put up a poll. What's the better philosophy? To contend in every league or to go all out and yeah. risk finishing in the bottom? Because yeah. that's that's clearly what we are doing here, what Tristan and I do here. It's like I'm contending in every league, but I'm not finishing in the bottom three ever, and he's taking more chances and being aggressive. I know our colleague Matthew Berry agrees with Tristan. He goes all out in his fantasy he's football league. He's a little more extreme with that. He's very yeah. – But he also he, – his basic saying, Kyle, and being on the fantasy focus football, you would say this. He's like, I don't care if I finish second or last. I want to win. I, I would, I'm fine finishing second. I think that says something as well. But those are two separate polls. I, I'd be interested in the answers. So, all right. I'll put it out for that poll. Top third gets paid out because that's, that's going to be important. If it's winner take all, everybody's going to be aggressive. So top three get paid. Is that how you want me to frame it? I don't think it should be about money or marbles or whatever. I, no, I don't know. Good. But if it's winner take all the marbles or like there's no reason to play for second. Finish the I, money versus take it all. Sure, sure. But, I mean, obviously, who would not say they want to take it all? Take it all or risk 10th place is the, is right. the answer. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, it's, it's the first or It's risk-reward. It's caution versus risk-reward. Okay. Would you rather first or nothing, or would you rather be third place and getting the minimum payout every year? Yeah. I'll, I'll I would probably out. say that, yeah. Last question here, back on the movie theme from Andrew. He wants to know where Cool Runnings ranks in terms of all-time sports movies. Kristen, are you familiar with that movie? I believe that's the John Candy movie, isn't it? And I love John Candy, and I am ashamed to admit I haven't seen this yet. And I should. The uh, this, Yeah, John Candy's in it, but he's not like – it's a Jamaican bobsled movie, right? Yeah, but I know John Candy's in it. I've, I've, I've watched almost every John Candy movie. I just – I'm ashamed to – other than Wagons East, <laughs> which – Unfortunately, his last movie, if I recall, I, I I haven't seen it in a really long time. It's it's at least twenty five years old. I I would have to rewatch it, and I and I could. I'd be fine watching movies that aren't about baseball. By the way, I mean like, but um, like like I was saying on a recent show with June, like uh, what's that that movie Breaking Away? You've seen Breaking Away, right? One of my favorites. I'm trying to remember which one is that. Breaking Away is the movie about the four. Uh, 
like college dropouts uh, in Indianapolis and doing a bike race. It's uh-huh. from like 1979. There's the only guy like uh, who ends up as like well Jackie Earl Haley who was in Bad News Bears is, is in this movie. Uh, Daniel Stern who's in City Slickers. Dennis Quaid who's in a lot of sports movies. Um, it's just it's one of my favorite movies. Um, let's see what they a small town boy obsessed with the Italian cycling team vies for the affections of a college girl. It's just if you've never seen it, both of you, I love that movie, and I do yeah. not think you will be disappointed. It's called Breaking Away. Um, All right, I've got it, two movies now that I've got to watch. <laughs> but yeah, I can't really answer a question about Cool Runnings. I'm sorry, I, I just I'm not uh, that affiliated with it. Um, anyway, um, any final thoughts? We got to a lot. This is a long show. I guess that's okay since you know a whole lot else is going on. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if by Monday's show. Uh, we have the 48 game season locked down, maybe a week later, but they they got to do it soon. Um, let's put it that way. They got time not, in 48 games. They do have time for that. They have time for that. They're running out of time for like 70 games. Yep. But I, you know what? I'm not even paying that much attention anymore. I, I'll be honest. To like all the wars back and forth between the owners and the players, I'm just not. I I, I think it's going to end up. You say the nuclear option. I don't think that's nuclear. Nuclear option is they don't play baseball at all this season. That's nuclear. Uh, a forty-eight game season, we might not view as ideal, but that's not nuclear at all. That's all right. I, I feel like for the players, it's probably what they'll view. Is Can you imagine option? if there's no season? Like that's nuclear. That's like people stop following the sport. Um, fantasy leagues die. Sim leagues don't, have nothing to do next year. They die. Like that's nuclear. But yeah. forty-eight game okay. season, you can still make it happen. You can still do something. I might tell my my roto league to go to a points league. I might say instead of paying two hundred marbles, uh, let's pay fifty. Yep. You know, for the winners, I don't even care about the money. I, well, I care if it's a lot of money. I just I'm saying like if it's a third of a season, it should be a third of the money. It's just it's still baseball. I'll still watch it. But you know what? I'm also going to watch the Flyers and Seventy Sixers in their playoffs. Baseball had a shot here to play baseball in I guess July, and they blew it. Yeah. They could have had everybody watching their sport, and they blew it. We could have had the remainder of this month could have been excitement of spring training leading into said season. Yep. But, you know, it comes down to money. And there's a side that I side on here, and it's the obvious one. But let's just have baseball. And if it's 48 games, it's 48 games. I will be watching the draft today. It's on ESPN starting at 5 p.m. Eastern time. I'll try to write something for tomorrow on sleepers uh, that that nobody's going to put in their dynasty top 100. But guys I'm looking at and Sabato will definitely be. Top of that list. I don't care if he's a DH. Guys like Kyle McDaniel and Keith Law care, and they should. Okay, They're looking at different things than we are. We we only care about defense to the point that if it, it, it keeps a player from playing. Okay, like An elite defensive catcher means nothing to me if he can't hit. An elite center fielder like the kid the, Bre- like the Brewers got or the Mets got this elite defensive center fielder, hey, that's awesome. But if it's Juan Lagares, in fantasy, it's not awesome. I need him to hit for some power. I need him to steal some bases, hit for average. Maybe he can do that, but he's a prep kid. It's going to take years to find out. So the, we're the looking glove, at different things. Yeah, the glove will drive rankings sometimes. Be really careful when looking at, at uh, prospect rankings that that counts things like defense that don't matter in fantasy. But nobody cared that Miguel Cabrera was a terrible third baseman. He was going to play every day somewhere in the day. He played right field in that World Series, right? Uh, he played left. Up. I thought I saw him playing. Maybe it was. Maybe it wasn't right. He was a third baseman. In the first, he was drafted, I believe, as a shortstop. He was moved to third in the minors. I remember they moved him to left field in AAA for the five days or so before his call up. 
because they wanted him in left field. They had Mike Lowell at third base. I think it was left field. He played right field in 2004 as a rookie. I'm not sure how much he did, but I remember seeing them there. Um, anyway, lots of stuff going on. Thank you so much for listening to our little show. Don't forget the Jalen and Jacoby After Show podcast. ESPN's 30 for 30 is this Sunday night. Watch it live. It's going to be good. And they do a great job with these 30 for 30s. Anyway, thanks so much. Moneyball's coming up next Thursday. On Monday, we'll talk regular baseball. Um, June Lee, thank you so much for being a guest on our show. Thank you to Kyle Sapi, Tristan H. Cockcroft. The H stands for hopefully there's more than a 48-game season, but I'll take 48. I am Eric Carabell. Have an awesome weekend.